In Final Fantasy VII, Cloud's theme has five notes and Aerith's has six. That means that, according to math, Aerith is the more important character. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. We've got a special music-focused episode for you this week where we're going deep inside the soundtrack of one of the greatest role-playing games ever made. So take the next stop from Midgar, put on your headphones, and turn up the volume. Let's do this thing. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Maddie Myers. And guess what, you two? What? What? I'm guessing what? <laughs> it's it's Max Fun Drive. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And we really have is. a bunch of listeners who probably don't know what that is. And so we're going to try to explain it. I'm going to be one of those listeners. Maddie. Oh, this is exciting. This is good. Well, Jason. What is Max <laughs> Fun Drive? It sounds super cool. It is super cool. So we are part of a podcast network called Maximum Fun, and we've talked a little bit on our prior episodes about how you can go to MaximumFun.org slash join, and if you back us, if you become a member at the lowest supporting level, which is $5, or any other level beyond that, you get Mm -hmm. access to our bonus episodes, and that's we pretty much left it at that up to now. But MaxFunDrive is this super cool time of year where if you back... (laughs) At a higher level, if you give us $10 a month, for example, or, or $20 a month, you get these super cool rewards that you don't get if you back at any other time of year. And mm-hmm. we'll tell you a little more, bit more about them later on in the show, but it's just exciting. It's exciting. And I, I guess we should it also note that um, Max Fun Drive this year was supposed to start on March 13th. But because of COVID-19 and a whole bunch of other considerations, it got delayed a few times. And because they wanted to wait for Triple Click to like really get started. That's the real reason, yes. Of course, they wanted to wait until we were on the network and so that people <laughs> could, could join and back us and become MaxFun members who are Triple Click fans. But if you were a person who joined at the $10 level on March 13th or afterward, you still get access to all of the same cool shit. So cool. that's just another yes. exciting aspect to all of this. It's like the Max One Drive that never ends. It's already yes. begun and it will yes. never end. Except that's it true. does end on August 7th. And yeah, it is nice that people support us making this show and uh, support us doing special things for this show, which speaking of that, that's right. this is a special yeah. episode of Triple Click. Yeah. Um, so Maddie and Jason, I have a question for you. Do you two like music? I love music. I, I love, love music. Music. And I love hearing you talk about music, Kirk. Oh, wow. In yes. that case, I have some very ex- exciting news for both of you and for any listeners who are into music and into Final Fantasy music in particular. Oh, Final Fantasy music. I know. It's still in my heart. So this is a special segment. This is a special segment that I've been working on for the past week, and it's going to be pretty cool. And I'm going to just throw it over to myself to take it away with that. But of course, the three of us will be back for one more thing after that. So uh, yeah, here comes uh, Hey Listen. Hello everyone, Kirk Hamilton here, and I am very excited to try out this new segment, Hey Listen, where I spend the first part of the show nerding out about video game music. Of course, there are a lot of video games whose music I could talk about for this segment for the inaugural Hey Listen, but in the end, I had gotten a lot of emails about a video game that both came out this year and also came out in 1997 with music that a whole lot of people know, and it is music that I love and would love to talk about, so it seemed like a good place to start. What video game soundtrack could I be talking Talking about what game was released both this year and in 1997? Well, you really only have to hear one collection of four notes placed end to end and played up and down the piano to know what we're going to be talking about.
That's right, on this inaugural edition of Hey Listen, we're going to be talking about the music from Final Fantasy VII, composed by none other than the great Nobuo Uematsu. Uematsu's score for Final Fantasy VII has been remarkably resilient over the years. It's never really gone away, and so much of it has remained synonymous with the Final Fantasy series, even outside of Final Fantasy VII. But of course, it has returned to the public consciousness in a major way thanks to the very clever reinterpretations and rearrangements in the Final Fantasy VII remake that came out for PlayStation 4 earlier this year. Now, as many of you probably know, in addition to Triple Click, I host a music podcast called Strong Songs, where I do musical analysis, sort of similar to what I'm going to do on Hey Listen, though a little bit different in some ways, too. I'm actually going to run a little trailer for that at the end of this segment, so if you're interested in Strong Songs, you can find out more then. Just a little info on me, for anyone who doesn't know, I am a jazz musician by training. I went to school for saxophone performance, played saxophone professionally for a lot of years. These days I write songs, compose music, play a lot of different instruments, and I make strong songs as a way to explain music to as many people as possible and to help people hear more in the music that they listen to, because I think that one of the greatest gifts you can get as a musician and from a musical education is learning how to hear more in the music that you're hearing, because there's so much going on if you kind of learn how to tease individual parts out and and understand a little bit more of what's going on. So that's what I'm going to be doing here. I think that Final Fantasy VII Remake, which came out earlier this year, offers a really interesting opportunity to reevaluate the music from the original in a similar way to the way that the remake itself offers an opportunity to reevaluate the original game, because as much as it is a remake, it is also kind of, you know, a commentary, a continuation. It's more than just a remake. It is its own thing, and it actually has something to say about the original 1997 game. I think that the score to Final Fantasy VII Remake actually works similarly. So what you're hearing here is the prelude from Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is a reinterpretation of the prelude that you already heard, which Nobuo Uematsu wrote actually well before Final Fantasy VII, but which famously accompanies the Final Fantasy VII opening menu. The rearrangements for the remake were handled by a whole bunch of different musicians working for Square Enix. This prelude was rearranged by Yoshitaka Suzuki, and each rearrangement is more complex, often in ways that are pretty interesting. So if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake, don't worry, I'm not going to spill any major beans on the story, just very little things. Um, I do think that this episode will hopefully help you appreciate some of the cool musical stuff that's going on in the remake a little bit more, and I think it'll also help anyone who finished FF7 Remake and wants to go back and play Final Fantasy VII again, which is something that I'm actually planning on doing, um, hear that original music in a new way too, because the Final Fantasy VII Remake is in constant conversation with the original Final Fantasy VII, and similarly, the composers are constantly in conversation with Uematsu. They're taking his themes, his motifs, his musical ideas in many of the same ways that Final Fantasy VII Remake rearranges and reinterprets the original game. So just take this prelude. This is the music that plays on the menu of the original Final Fantasy VII, and it's beautiful sounding and pretty different from the version of it that plays in Final Fantasy VII Remake. While the original version was just a single synthesizer with some delay on it, the remake takes a synthesizer and adds harps with a bunch of reverb and actually kind of removes the delay and creates a much more spacious, just very different sounding vibe. 
then, of course, once that full orchestra comes in, or at least the sound of a full orchestra, it is a significantly different sound than how the original game sounded. This is the original game, and this is the remake. So now we're back to the original, and the original is using synthesized instruments that create a very different sound from the remake, which uses samples and, you know, a much bigger, more modern sound. But where the remake relies on modern technology and production techniques, the original game relies on something maybe more powerful. The listener's imagination. So just like you can't really say that Final Fantasy VII is better than Final Fantasy VII Remake or do some kind of really, you know, boring comparison like that, I'm not going to do something like that with the music. I mean, the Final Fantasy VII Remake music could not exist without the original score to Final Fantasy VII, and I think they're in conversation in a really interesting way, and I hope to tease some of that out for you here and also just give you a better appreciation for just how good Uematsu's original music from Final Fantasy VII was. I do think that concept, though, the concept of the listener's imagination, is crucial for understanding just why the original music is so magic and has stuck with us for so long, and it's also central to my understanding of why the original game resonated like it did and stuck in the public consciousness for so long after, you know, graphics technology and modern video game production techniques greatly outpaced it in a lot of ways, at least in terms of the production. So I want to start with that prelude because the prelude is kind of emblematic of Uematsu's style of composition, he'll write these very simple ideas and turn them into something iconic just with kind of a flick of his wrist. It's pretty cool. And the prelude contains a lot of musical information that actually turns up later in the main theme for Final Fantasy VII, which I also want to talk about. So what I love about this music is how exceptionally simple it is and how it takes a very simple framework and then stretches it out in a beautiful way that turns it into something that sounds iconic even though it's actually built of very basic ingredients. Okay, so we're in the key of C here, which is the most basic key there is. It has no sharps or flats. It's all white keys on the piano in the key of C. And this entire piece of music is built out of one shape. And I would call this a shape because it's just four notes put in a kind of a certain order that feels like a shape when you look at it on the piano. And that shape is this. So that shape, that very simple shape, is actually the entirety of the Final Fantasy Prelude motif, which is something that I've always appreciated about it. You play those four notes, and then you just play them again up the octave, and then you do that two more times, and then you just play it in reverse, back down could not be more simple, and yet somehow, just because of the way that Uematsu made it sound and the way that he arranged the notes, it sounds pretty distinct. When you hear those four notes put in octaves like that, you think, Final Fantasy. So of course, when I say that it's those four notes over and over again, I am slightly oversimplifying things. The chords do change, the harmony changes, but the shape remains the same. So I mentioned this is in C major, that first figure plays on a C major chord. The next chord is A minor, which is the relative minor, very common chord in the key of C major. And the shape stays the same, it just moves down, and instead of starting on C, it starts a little bit lower in the key of A minor. 
Same shape, some of the same notes, and it creates a sense of motion through the tune as we go from C major to A minor. Not an unusual chord progression on its own, but the way that Uematsu threads those notes through it creates something that sounds distinct. Like a lot of pop songwriters before him, Uematsu spends some time going back and forth between C and A minor. Before going to two new chords, he goes to an F, which he plays like this. It's pretty cool. And then he plays that same version of the shape over a G chord, which is the 5. He starts on a B, and it sounds like this. So basically, he's been doing these little collections of four notes that he then stacks on top of one another in these big ascending and descending scales. And so far, they're going through a very traditional chord progression. He starts on C major, then he goes to A minor. He goes back and forth between those two chords for a minute. Then he goes to F major, the four. And then he goes to G major, the five. Now, if you don't know a lot of music theory, I'm using some numbers here, and I don't want to freak you out, but I am using these for a reason, because they turn up later. They'll be important later. But basically, one, six, four, and five, they all refer to different chords in um, the song. And one, six minor, four, five, those are like the four most common chords ever. They're like parodied at this point. Um, playing that chord progression is so standard, but because of the way that he's arranged it and the way that he's built that pattern over the chord progression, it sounds pretty distinct. Like it doesn't sound like he's just playing through, you know, one of the million pop songs that uses this chord progression on the chorus. Of course, there are two more chords in this piece of music and they are the magic chords. They're the less usual ones and they're played in a shape that doesn't match with the shape that he's been playing over those four normal chords. And I think that these two chords are the key to this entire piece. They they come at the very end, and I'll call it out when you hear them, here's what they sound like. So this is that 4 chord, and 5, and then... <laughs> Lovely. Okay, so before I explain what those chords are, just to kind of sum up, we've kind of got four notes on each chord in this piece of music. The whole thing is just groupings of four notes. And we go from the one, to the six minor, eventually to the four, to the five. So those are those four chords, those really common chords. The last two chords are flat six major seven, and flat seven major seven. Just remember those numbers, they're going to be important later, and they sound so cool. It's so tasty, it's so magic sounding, it's beautiful because he's in this really inside kind of normal chord progression and then he steps outside of it in a very beautiful way. And it kind of just captures something about Final Fantasy and specifically Final Fantasy VII, the way that it's this in some ways mundane setting, you know, like a just a city with industry and all the kind of things you would see in a city. But then there's also magic. And I think those last two chords feel to me at least like an introduction of the magic right before the full ensemble comes in. So basically, that walk up is an A flat major seventh to a B flat major seventh 
to a C, which is actually a fairly common walk-up like in pop and rock music. I actually just did a Strong Songs episode about the Super Mario Brothers World 1-1 music, and there is, that that's also in C, and there is actually an A-flat to B-flat to C that happens very quickly in that tune as well. It's uh, this dude right here. It's not an unheard of chord progression, but when you're in a more vanilla zone, like C major to A minor to F to G, when you go to that A flat major seventh, suddenly it just adds an amount of dissonance and kind of lushness to the sound that really opens things up. And I love the way that it works in this prelude in particular. So much great music involves taking familiar elements, common chords, and common chord progressions and knitting them together in a way that sounds distinct, and Uematsu is very, very good at that. As much as he draws on classical music and orchestral traditions, he incorporates a lot of rock and pop and funk and jazz into his soundtracks, and he's not always doing things that haven't been done before harmonically, it's just that he combines them in a way that captures a certain magic that then fits so perfectly with the game that the music is accompanying. I really love this prelude because I think that it sets the whole thing off on a perfect note, so to speak. So let's keep on moving. I really want to talk about the main theme from Final Fantasy VII, which is a crucial piece of music and a very important melody in both Final Fantasy VII and in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I want you to remember those chord numbers, 1, 6, 4, and 5, and then also flat 6 and flat 7, because believe it or not, they're all going to be relevant when talking about the main theme from Final Fantasy VII. It'd be tough to make an argument for any of the main themes and character motifs from Final Fantasy VII as the definitive melody of Final Fantasy VII, but there is definitely a strong argument to be made for this melody, which I've always thought of as Cloud's theme, but is also sometimes described as the theme from Final Fantasy VII. It is a beautiful melody that relies on some very tasty note choices. So I'm going to break down that melody for you, and I actually am also going to draw some interesting connections to the prelude that we already talked about, because Final Fantasy VII is definitely one unified collection of music, and Uematsu was very fond of tying his motifs and chord progressions back to earlier pieces from the game. And there is actually a lot happening in that main theme, in Cloud's theme, that was already happening in the prelude, but we'll get to that in a moment. For starters, I want to talk about one concept that you should understand, and that is a major seventh. So a major seventh is what's called an interval. It's a space between two notes. So if you play an E, which is the key this song is in, play an E, that is the one. If you play a major seventh above that, you're gonna play a D sharp. And that space between those two notes is a major seventh. The reason that it's a seventh is it is the seventh note of the E major scale. So an interval can really be anything. It can be a second, it can be a fourth, it can be a sixth, and it's just the distance between one note and the other note, in this case an E and another note from an E major scale. 
So I don't want to get too much more into the theory of it all because you don't really need to know that to appreciate why this music is good. But basically, the major seventh is a really nice sounding interval, but it's also a pretty dissonant interval. And that dissonance just kind of has this rub to it. It sounds a little bit, you know, uneven and kind of rough, like it wants to resolve. If you resolve it up to the octave, you can just be playing an octave. That sounds nice and open. That's kind of like if you play a perfect fifth, which is E to B. That's just a nice open sounding interval. Compared to that, the major seventh, much more like kind of sharp sounding, right? Much more dissonant. So Final Fantasy VII has a lot of major sevenths. Uematsu is definitely fond of that interval, and he uses it to add this richness and lushness to his melodies in a few really choice places, in particular in this piece of music. So like I said, we're in the key of E, and let's just look at this melody. So I'm going to play the melody totally divorced from the chords, just the melody on its own in the key of E. This is what it sounds like. It's a nice and somehow classic sounding melody. I really dig this melody. And it's totally in the key of E major. This is just notes from an E major scale played back to back. But the way that they fit over the harmony, the chords that move underneath the melody, is kind of what makes them really shine. So if you look at the first phrase of this melody, it's these four notes. And that's actually not that far off from those first four notes that play in the figure during the prelude. There's actually only one note difference. The prelude sounds like this. And the main Final Fantasy VII theme sounds like this. Obviously the rhythm is totally different, which gives it a very different sound, but it's kind of built around the same notes, which I don't actually think is an accident. So that different note, that fourth note, that's the major seventh in the key of E, and it has that kind of dissonance that adds a lushness to the sound of this melody that wouldn't be there if it was the exact same four notes as the prelude if it went up to the fifth, which is just like a much more neutral sounding note. Or at least it would be if that melody was played just over an E major chord. That would sound like this. Of course, that is not how this piece of music sounds, and that's because the chords change. There isn't just an E major, and it actually goes through a sequence of chords that we already heard in the prelude. So if you remember, the first two chords of the prelude kind of went back and forth between one and six minor, and the first two chords of Cloud's theme are also one and six minor. It goes from E major to C sharp minor. You may also remember in the prelude, those two magic chords, the ones I told you to remember, the flat six, and the flat seventh. Well, what should happen in Cloud's theme but the same chord progression? It goes back to E and then it goes to the flat sixth, to the flat seventh, and then back to E. It's a great melody, and like so many great melodies, it works because of where each note is placed in the chord underneath it. It sounds fine on its own when you play it by itself, but when you put the chords underneath it, everything kind of locks in place, and the specificity of the melody really is driven home. So what would have been a regular major seventh in an E chord becomes a ninth in that C sharp minor. What would have been a fifth, just a kind of boring sounding fifth in the key of E, becomes a major seventh when you go down to a C chord. And not only are those chords really bringing out the best attributes of the melody, they're also echoing the chords that were already established in the prelude, tying Final Fantasy VII's soundtrack together in one of very many cool ways.
When it came out this year, Final Fantasy VII Remake took a lot of Uematsu's original themes and rearranged them, reorchestrated them, and brought them into the 21st century in ways that are pretty effective a lot of the time and especially work in the context of a remake, even if I actually think that the original tracks totally stand on their own. I think that's by design and it's kind of true of Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy VII itself. So I mentioned imagination earlier and I want to kind of expound on that a little bit now. The magic to me of Final Fantasy VII has always been the way that the game had this kind of significant gulf between what you were seeing on the screen and what you were imagining in your mind. The character portraits and the high-res parts of the game let you see what this should look like and what the movie version of it would look like, but the game itself never really looked like that, and so as a result, the game kind of lived in the player's imagination in a way that gave it a level of magic that just could never be captured or recreated on a screen, no matter how talented the artists and the animators, because it's the power of imagination. I mean, it's just the magic of whatever you picture in your mind as what Midgar would really look like. I think that's true of the soundtrack as well. A lot of Uematsu's music sounds like an orchestra. You can kind of hear what it would sound like, but it's not an orchestra, it's synthesized instruments. And that's actually also true when it sounds like a rock band, but it isn't a rock band. This is one of my favorite tracks from Final Fantasy VII, the boss fight music that's typically called Fight On. And it rules so hard, even though it doesn't really sound like a real rock band. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really love this track. I love the clarity of the bass. Next time you're listening to that track, just really listen to the bass. Focus on those bass lines and what the bass is playing because there's some really killer bass lines in there. It doesn't sound like a real rock band, right? Like, you imagine Rush, you know, playing a kind of rock-out prog rock thing um, on stage in your mind's ear when you hear this, but it doesn't actually really sound like Rush. It sounds like synthesized instruments. So there's just this great thrill when you're playing Final Fantasy VII Remake and you get to the Airbuster fight and what music should come on but a full-throated, real instrument, ripping version of Fight On that sounds like everything you ever imagined when you heard that music back in 1997 or whenever you first played Final Fantasy VII. This rearrangement is credited to Tadayoshi Makino and, I mean, if you're gonna get hyped up for a boss fight, I don't know of any music that could get you more hyped up than this. So obviously that rules, but I think that that rules for a very specific reason. It rules because it's taking something that we imagined for so long and turning it into this totally bodacious, ridiculous, fully-fledged version of it. Like, that recording would rule on its own. I mean, it rocks super hard, but it rules way harder because it's existed in our imaginations for so long, and now we finally get to hear it that way. And I know there have been like a million bands that have played Fight On in various arrangements, but having it actually play in a Final Fantasy game, I mean, seeing Cloud whip out his buster sword alongside Tifa and Barrett while that guitar riff comes in, that's a very special thing, and that's something that Final Fantasy VII Remake does exceptionally well. I think that all of the composers who worked on this did a fantastic job. Because, like I said, Final Fantasy VII Remake isn't just a straight-up remake, even though it has remake in the title. 
kind of a reinterpretation and the music is approached very similarly, sometimes that means taking an existing theme from the original game and rearranging it or even mixing it with other motifs in some pretty cool ways that are very creative and kind of just as creative as other parts of Final Fantasy VII Remake are with the story, but other times it means playing it really straight and just giving people a rich, lush reinterpretation of a tune that they already know. I would say that is certainly true of the first time that you hear Cloud's theme in full. This was rearranged by Shotaro Shima, and it's played in this grandiose way that really sounds like pomp and circumstance or something. I mean, it sounds like this big homecoming because it really is for so many players. You're walking out as Cloud, you're in the Undercity, you have like full control for the first time, and you're just kind of marveling at what this looks like. I mean, holy cow, look up there. It's like the saucer of the upper city above me, and I'm just walking around in this fully realized version of Midgar. So what else should be playing on the soundtrack but a straightforward, beautifully realized version of Cloud's theme? And even with the new richer orchestration, the bigger sounds, the real sounding instruments, and the new counter melodies that they're adding, it's still that fundamental melody and those fundamental chords that we talked about that make it so strong and then make it land the way that it does. This is it. This musical moment, this is when the game brings you home. pretty profound and surprising ways Final Fantasy VII Remake was actually concerned with reevaluating and rewriting the legacy of Final Fantasy VII, but sometimes you just gotta give the people what they want, and when it comes to the music, the composers knew that at this moment, it was time for something straightforward. Of course, that's not always the case. Cloud's theme, that collection of notes, just that little melodic motif, is everywhere in Final Fantasy VII Remake, more so than in the original game. If you play through this again, if you've already played it, or if you're going to play it, keep an ear out for it, you'll hear it all over the place. I mean, variations of it, minor key versions, dark versions, bright versions, callbacks, I mean, it's just a constant thing, and it's really fun to listen for because it's woven so thoroughly throughout the game. There is, however, another character motif that's arguably even more important for Final Fantasy VII and for the remake, and it is the most beautiful piece of music, at least to me. It's my favorite piece of music from Final Fantasy VII, and we gotta talk about it, so let's get into it. Okay, so that prelude, that was built out of four notes, right? These four notes. And Cloud's theme was built out of five notes, these five notes. The final theme that we're going to be talking about on Hey Listen has six notes. Three going up, and three coming back down. I mean, I couldn't do a discussion of Final Fantasy VII music without talking about Aerith's theme. Aerith's theme is so important to Final Fantasy VII, partly because Aerith herself is such an important character, also because the music accompanies some of the most impactful and meaningful moments in the original game, and also because it's just a gorgeous piece of music.
So while there's a lot of beautiful stuff going on throughout the entire piece, for me, Aerith's theme is defined by those first six notes and the two chords that accompany them. I think it's a really beautiful motif. It's so simple, just like a lot of Uematsu's music, but it's so instantly iconic. Three notes up. Three notes down. Perfect. So those six notes actually perfectly outline the first two chords of the song. The first two chords of the song are D major and A minor, and the first three notes are just a D major arpeggio going up to D, and then the second three notes are just an A minor arpeggio going from C to A to E. Now this piece is in D major, which means that those first two chords are one major to five minor. Now this is actually a chord progression that I just recently talked about on Strong Songs. I did an episode on Sufjan Stevens' song Chicago, which also heavily relies on one major to five minor. It's a beautiful, evocative sound, and I think it's a huge part of why Aerith's theme is so enchanting and instantly grabs you. Another really famous example of one to five minor is actually in Coldplay's hit song Clocks, the first two chords of that song, also one to five minor. So 1 to 5 minor is a sound that a lot of composers know will get you that ethereal sound that is very appropriate for Aerith for a lot of reasons. It's a great theme on its own and definitely one of the greatest video game melodies ever written, but I really like what the composers do with it in the remake. Something that Maddie and I actually talked about back on the Beanscast on various other episodes where we talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake was the fact that neither of us actually loved Aerith as a character in the original Final Fantasy VII. She's just not very fleshed out, and while that's true of a lot of Final Fantasy VII and your imagination has to do heavy lifting, it really has to do some heavy lifting with Aerith to get you to care as much about her as you're supposed to. Fortunately, that music really helps. I mean, the music is basically Aerith's character to me, at least until I played Remake and I met this new version of Aerith. So Cloud has met Aerith a few times before he really has his first meaningful interaction with her, and she already just seems like more of a person. It's partly the performance, the animations, the extra writing, how much more fleshed out it all is, but you just get a sense of her as this playful person with a whole inner life who exists on her own and has her own challenges that are actually going to go on to be really important parts of the game. And as Cloud gets to know her, he follows her home, and you get to see where she lives, and it's this beautiful corner of Midgar. It's greener than anything you've seen in the game, and you know where this is going, you know so much about Aerith because you've already played Final Fantasy VII, and that's when they introduce this version of her theme that's so much more elaborate, it doesn't even really play the main theme, it hints at it and you'll hear various instruments in the ensemble piping up with different parts of that six note motif, all carefully rearranged by Yoshinori Nakamura, but it doesn't fully arrive for quite some time. You see her home and her things, you get this sense of her and this place that she lives, and then the theme finally comes in. It feels so rich and drawn out. With new ideas. For a new take on a beloved character. Listeners, let me tell you, the first time I heard this, as I walked around Aerith's house, it 
kind of wrecked me. There are a lot of amazing moments in Final Fantasy VII Remake, but this moment, going home with Aerith and hearing this version, Nakamura's rearrangement of Uematsu's original theme, I this was just an unbelievably beautiful moment for me. I was not expecting it to hit me as hard as it did, and it was entirely because of the music that it had that effect. Final Fantasy VII Remake would have been totally fine if it had just straight up remade the Midgard chapters of Final Fantasy VII, and the music would have been fine if it had just been these fleshed out orchestral versions of the original music, but by doing more, it's just so much more special. All of these composers that Square Enix brought in to reimagine and rearrange this music did more than just flesh it out. They created all these interesting stories, just musical stories that they're telling through the sounds that play as you're playing the game. Sometimes that's as simple as a more elaborate version of Aerith's theme that really beautifully reflects how she's a much more elaborate character in the remake. Other times they're cleverly mixing motifs to explain what's going on using music. In a really important scene in the game, Aerith and Cloud are having a conversation and the music in the background is taking Cloud's theme and Aerith's theme and interweaving them in this gorgeous way. You hear it? I mean, that is pretty cool. Final Fantasy VII Remake is so much more than just a remake, and that makes it so much more interesting than it would have been otherwise. I know it had faults, I know there are things we can complain about, I know we don't know when the next one is coming out, but I can't help but love this game, and the music is at the heart of why. I loved Final Fantasy VII Remake because I love Final Fantasy VII, and I love Final Fantasy VII because of the music. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you liked this first edition of Hey Listen. I certainly had a good time making it. We're going to take a break, and then I'll be back with Maddie and Jason to tell you some about Max Fun Drive, and of course, to each share our one more thing. Hello, Triple Click listener, Kirk here, and if you liked that analysis, I think you'll probably like my music podcast, Strong Songs. Strong Songs. On each episode of Strong Songs, I pick a different famous song and take it apart, then put it back together again, all with the goal of helping you hear your favorite music in a different way. I've covered a ton of songs ranging from The Beach Boys' God Only Knows, chord inversions, contrapuntal vocal arranging, to Radiohead's Paranoid Android, through composed songwriting. 
the Dorian mode, to ABBA's Dancing Queen, juxtaposition of harmony and lyrics, Miles Davis's So What, modal jazz harmony, satisfied from Hamilton, intermixing character motifs, and Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, strategic Brian May deployment. I've been having a ton of fun making the show, and you don't have to be a musician to appreciate it. It is made for musicians and non-musicians alike. You can find the show at strongsongspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you give it a listen. Thanks. Popping back into the show here to tell you a little bit more about Max Fun Drive. Okay. Max Fun Drive. I love information about Max Fun Drive. Yes, That's my favorite yes. thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, of course, you could just go to maximumfun.org slash join and you would get all of the information that I'm about to tell you. But before I say that, I just want to <laughs> emphasize that we know... This is a very strange time to be doing a fundraiser of any kind. We're yes. very aware of that. It's part of why Max Fund Drive is super chill this year. Ordinarily in years past, it's two weeks of just <laughs> mega hyped Max Fund Drive <laughs> fundraising. Ordinarily, we threaten your families if you don't, <laughs> don't, don't contribute. No. <laughs> We've never been on the network. We don't know what happens, right, but right. maybe that was going down. No, it wasn't. Of course not. So this week, <laughs> this this year is four weeks. It's much more chill, and we just want to emphasize that. We know some of you aren't in a financial position to support the show right now, and that's totally fine. You can always share the show or talk about the drive on your social media, whatever you feel comfortable doing. We see you. We appreciate you. Yeah, that. I mean, that's still just as much support is to like share, tell your friends yes. about Triple Click. Like, that's worth just as much to us. We appreciate anything you can do, even if you can't uh, financially support us. Absolutely. And if you are a person who's able to invest in the show, we appreciate it so much. Obviously, we are an independent artist-owned show. That's what Max Fun as a network is all about. That's what you're supporting. You're supporting us directly, and that's really, really important and valuable. So anyway, MaximumFun.org slash join. All of those gifts are there. Most of you already know that the $5 level gets you that bonus content. Yeah, bonus beans cast, including The Last of Us 2 at the end of this yes. month. That's right. You, you get the beans cast at every level, but you obviously get it at 5 but if you if you back at 10, y'all, you get to pick a pin and probably you will be choosing the triple click pin. <laughs> Hopefully. It freaking owns. It's it so cool. Definitely rules and I want one. Yeah. Yeah. It's we all have to get them. Black and gold. It has a controller on it. It looks sick as hell. So you're gonna click on that. You're gonna get your triple click pin. And then every time you gaze upon it, you're gonna think to yourself, yes, I am supporting triple click at ten dollars per month every month, and you feel great about it. Mm-hmm. And if you were, for example, to bump it all the way up to $20 a month. Just as a for instance. This is actually like really cool. <laughs> like <laughs> Maximum Fun's theme this year is games, which is like not normally the theme. You know, I mean, they were waiting for us to do the Maximum Fun drive. I mean, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's why they yeah, needed. Yeah, they were waiting for us to come in. They were waiting for us for the drive. They were waiting for us to do this theme. Mm-hmm, Who mm-hmm. can say if that's true or not? <laughs> it's, it's up to you, listener, to decide. So you get the Max Fun game pack if you, if you join at $20, which is playing cards that have been illustrated with art that has Easter eggs that are references to the show. And you also get a mm-hmm. little bag of dice. And so if you've been chilling out during COVID and you really want to learn some magic tricks with dice and cards, <laughs> maybe you want to play some Texas Hold'em like Jason mm-hmm. and I like to do. Yeah, whatever. all the dice you use in Texas Hold'em. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the playing cards are for. Uh, okay. So anyway, these are that's what you get at 20 bucks. So we'll tell you more about the other gifts in, in the coming weeks. But 
we just want to emphasize once again, we're grateful for any any level of support that you may be able to yeah. give to us. Thank you all. Yeah. We love you all. It is super cool to be making our own show and to be supported by our listeners. It's the kind of thing that makes us want to do things like extra work on special bonus music mm, episodes and hmm, things like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's it does make it way cooler to like just put a ton of work into the show and make it really great that we own it and that it's just us and yes. all of you supporting us. Like that is yeah. really, really cool. So thank you Super so much cool. to everybody who already supports the show. We really, yes. really appreciate it. We really do. Big thanks. And we're back. Enough of that music nonsense. Let's talk about other things, specifically one more thing, a piece, the one thing that we each bring into the show to talk about each week. Maddie, what is your one more thing this week? Okay, so it was my birthday last week. Uh, Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Maddie. You're a little late, but thank you. Um, So I wanted Ring Fit Adventure, which I've talked about on the show before, and now I have my very own copy of Ring Fit Adventure, courtesy of my mother, Noted nice. triple click listener, my mom. Nice, she nice. found me at Ring Fit. She dropped it off in my house. No contact, COVID style. Dude, was it just like you came out of your house and Ring Fit Adventure was just <laughs> no, sitting there, like with yes. no explanation on, and your, it was on your front porch? <laughs> and I had a text from my mother being like, it's on the back porch. And nice. I like oh, went out great. and there's a wrap present. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> this is the time in which we live. Um, I just want to point out that I have been dropping links every single time I've seen it uh, to like online. You have. Just that's for that's you, true. Man. You've really been on it. You've really been on it. And I appreciate it, Jason because I have wanted But this. I should have been sending them to your mother. You should have been texting them to my mom. I don't know what mm-hmm. you were even doing. But anyway, yeah. she figured it out. <laughs> Shout out to Maddie's mom. So uh, Maddie, what do you think of it? Yeah, I, I really like it. I, I will quickly say I'm enjoying it a ton, but I want to also emphasize... Just a little shout out to Just Dance. I know I'm cheating by mentioning multiple <laughs> One More Things, which is a classic Kirk yeah, Hamilton you can move. Compare them. But cool people do that all the time. I just want to say, <laughs> I feel like Just Dance is also really good. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that I don't think Ring Fit deserves being the exercise fad that it has become during COVID. And mm-hmm. I'm. I've, it's only been a few days. I'm already really enjoying it. And it definitely helps with like strength training exercises. There's a lot mm-hmm. of strength training stuff in Ring Fit that is obviously not a part of Just Dance. Just Dance is purely aerobics. Mm-hmm. That's what's fun about it. However, I do feel like I get my heart rate up more consistently with Just Dance, and that is just a huge benefit of that game that in Ring Fit you don't really get. It's more of a uh, strength training, and then you do sort of intervals of Yeah, aerobics. anaerobic exercises. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's, that's cool too. But if you're somebody who's maybe getting a little tired of Ring Fit, or perhaps you're somebody who can't find a copy of Ring Fit, mm. I just want to give a little shout-out to Just shout Dance to just as like dance. a yeah, cross-training methodology for a right, time period right. when none of us can go to the gym. <laughs> and this is all we have, and it's been really fun. So, yeah. Maddie, I just want to say that by this time in like two months, I expect your arms to look like Abby's from the last of us. Like flump. God, I freaking hope so. Abby is hashtag goals. Those yeah, arms man. are great. No kidding. Good lord. Nice. Well, I'm the only one who doesn't have ring fit. I might I have to get it. It seems like it'd be fun. I've been enjoying it's my sort of. Just fun. keep an eye on your G chats then. Right. Right. <laughs> Jason will definitely keep me posted. Well, because I see every time Wario sixty four on Twitter mm-hmm. is like ring fit mm-hmm. adventures now and stuff. That's a good follow, by the way. Yeah. If you want to get some hot gaming deals. (laughs) He is definitely on top of the hot gaming deals. So speaking of hot gaming, I guess this is a deal. It's a new game anyways. Jason, tell me about your one more thing, which I'm also playing and I'm excited to talk to you about. It's not actually a new game, but new port of a game. Yeah, yeah, that's Uh, that's right. It's on the the only console that it it really was meant to be on this whole time. That exists? Yes. (laughs) It's the only console that exists. (laughs) 
longtime Kentucky split screen <laughs> listeners will know that I have obsessed for a long time about uh, CrossCode, which is a SNES style uh, action RPG is the best way to describe it. Um, mm-hmm. That has like these these great spritey graphics, um, and it is it's very Zelda inspired. It's got like two two dimensional like action combat. You kind of sh- shoot bullets and also slash with your sword, and then it's got a ton of puzzles. And that's the real reason that I love it is because it's got so many clever like bullet puzzles where you have to throw projectiles at switches and do all sorts of incredibly clever things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the dungeons, by the way, are amazing. Wait till you get to the first dungeon, Kirk. You will you will enjoy it quite a bit, I think. One thing I like about the puzzles in this game is it looks like an SNES game, but there are like perspective puzzles on yes. those because you have to yeah. climb to different verticality. Heights. Yeah, and so it takes a minute to get your head around it. At least at the beginning, I've played mm-hmm. what probably five hours of the game so far, mm-hmm. and there really is this learning curve where it's like, well, it's totally flat and you're moving around in that very SNES, you know, whatever, Chrono Trigger, um, Mm -hmm. Secret of Mana kind of way. But then you climb up on a thing and you have to actually think in terms of, oh, I need to get up here and get down there. Like at the beginning, you're chased by those robots and you have to run to get away. And it's like, oh God, wait, where can I climb? Ah, I'm going to get killed. And it's it's pretty cool. cool. I, I like how they play with that. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. so one of the cool things is when I talk about puzzles, I'm not just talking about like puzzles and dungeons because pretty much every map in the game is its own puzzle in mm-hmm. that there are chests hidden everywhere and secrets hidden everywhere and you have to like find vertical paths to get there and there are a lot of really cool things that you can do with the game. Um, but I haven't even mentioned the big uh, concept, like the hook of the game, yeah, which is yeah. that this world that you are playing in, it's called Cross Worlds and it's actually a fictional MMORPG within the concept of the game. So everybody around you are most everybody around you is either an NPC or a player inhabiting this body and the concept is that it's an actual real physical place in the world of this game but um, you control like a virtual body that's in it or not even a virtual body like an artificial robot body and so the players talk about how they like feel the senses as they're playing it's like the Mm -hmm. ultimate uh, ready player one experience except without (laughs) all the shitty uh, references Um, (laughs) and uh, I love this game to death I have for a long time I actually played the bulk of it on PC when it came out a couple of years ago um, thanks to uh, Mike Fahey recommendation shout out to Mike Fahey uh, mm-hmm. former Kotaku colleague of ours still like Kotaku um, mm-hmm. now it has just come to consoles including the Switch which Kirk I know you have been waiting for for a long time and mm-hmm. Maddie too, I, yeah. you have as well since both of you I've convinced to play it um, the big downside right now is as of this recording the Switch version is a little bit janky. It's got a lot of frame rate hitching. It's got a lot of menu lag. It's still very much playable, and I've been playing a ton mm-hmm. of it. But um, but I would wait for a patch if you don't mind waiting. Um, the caveat being that by the time this episode is live, there might already be a patch that fixes this stuff. Uh, so hopefully that is the case. But man, this game... So I have I put in many, many hours on PC, but I am still starting from the beginning and playing <laughs> it all over again on Switch. I'm up to the second dungeon now on my Switch. I'm planning on playing through the entire thing again because it is that good. It is an incredible game. It's one of those games that just like... Like those of you who have lis- listening to the show know that sometimes I just obsess over games like uh, Outer Wilds or Return of the Oberdin, all of us do. And sometimes there's just a special game that you got to obsess mm-hmm. over. This this qualifies. So I highly recommend that everybody out there go and play it. Yeah, I like what I've played. Um, it I like the vibe a lot. It just has this sort of um, really pretty shopping mall vibe, sort of, at least at first, <laughs> in, the, in a way that I, I really you like. Yeah. You know, because it's this kind of this island that was just created 
to have all these avatars, which are made of this stuff called instant matter. I recommend anybody playing this game go and read the Codex, which is mm-hmm. both cleverly written and it has like funny jokes. There's a lot of clever writing in the game, a lot of groan-worthy mm-hmm. puns, a lot of like MMO references, a lot of fourth wall breaking, but it's not really fourth wall breaking because it's actually a game. So it's yeah. players in the game talking about Which like... Which can be tricky. There are mm-hmm. times where it feels like you're playing an MMO. At least at first I was like, oh, so it's a bunch of MMO quests. And they're saying to yeah. you, well, don't worry about it. This is all part of this bigger story. You know, you're finding out who your character really is. Mm-hmm. But you do have to go grind in the MMO for a little while to learn yeah. who you are. So just at the beginning. So most yeah, exactly. of the quests mm-hmm. I found, especially playing the game the second time, most quests you just do kind of organically mm-hmm. as you're playing through and also you definitely don't have to do them all like I would recommend not doing all the side quests if you're jumping into this game sure, for the first time sure. just like any MMO like you don't want to do all the side quests when you play mm-hmm. an MMO yeah I like it though I am waiting for the patch now because I played enough yes. and the menu lag was just kind of bugging me because it's it's like five yeah. or six seconds it's you press the quest annoying. button and then I was just like oh man like yeah. normally that stuff when it's a good game I'm like whatever I'll get around it but I was like this is taking forever and I know they're going to patch it or at yep. least it mm-hmm. seems very patchable well hopefully so. hopefully that's patchable the problem with this game is always that it's it's written in HTML5 mm-hmm. code so apparently it was really difficult to get it ported on consoles in the first place so who knows bless them for putting it on Switch because that yeah. does feel like it's natural habitat like it, it really is. feels like it belongs on switch um but oh, yeah. yeah i hope they're able to fix that stuff but yeah man Same. i love i love this game to death it's and nice. um well i'm looking forward to both of you playing more mm-hmm. hopefully once it's patched yeah. um one other quick thing is that i am also playing the new paper mario game but i'll Look talk more guys. about that next week because that that just came out this week so people might be wondering mm-hmm. my thing is not uh Well, it's a video game, but it's not a video game. So my thing is Tabletop Simulator, which is amazing. And I finally used with my board game group, and I'm like totally over the moon over how incredible it is. And I'm sure a lot of listeners who knew about it and knew that I played lots of tabletop games and had a group and had been playing, like I had talked about, you know, the digital, like the video game version of Sentinels of the Multiverse and the video game version of Lords of Waterdeep that we'd played. And mm-hmm. I talked about like what it's like to kind of play these video game versions that do so many calculations for you and the pacing is so different and adjusting our tabletop group. And I'm sure there are people out there, this is all for all of you who are sitting there thinking, dude, why doesn't this guy's group play get Tabletop Simulator and use that? <laughs> <laughs> instead. Well, we finally did that. Um, Sean, one of the guys in my group, was like, let's do Tabletop Simulator. And we're all kind of like, oh, that looks kind of janky and intimidating, <laughs> and I don't know. But it's not actually janky or intimidating. It's just amazing. It is an um, open-ended game that is basically a framework for you to build any tabletop game within it, and then play the game online with your friends. And it's it's actually very, very simple. We played huh. a game of Root last night, which is a tabletop game that I absolutely love. I've talked about it a lot on Split Screen. It's the one with the animals. It's the one with yeah. the animals. It's this very yeah. complicated war game, but it's really, really good. And there's a... You can get, like, in the workshop, people will make mods, essentially, where you oh, download... like a Root-alike, and then you just download that. Yeah. So this is actually just root like it is root it's all the art and all the cards and everything which is a whole thing and there's a big complicated thing with tabletop simulator where like ip is kind of complicated because what people are doing is not clearly just like it's copyright infringement especially if you're taking like a star wars game and recreating it but a lot of times the creators don't care some creators like straight up 
we'll just be like, it's fine. It's like an ad for the game. You know, like my group, we own Root. Like we own all the yeah. expansions. And we would also gladly pay for like... For like a digital version. Yeah. Right. Or like if it was through Tabletop Simulator, like I feel like that's kind of the future of this because it was so great. The experience was amazing. It was like the whole game, all the expansions, it auto sets up, but past that... You just have a board and all the cards, and you just play. So it's like the game doesn't do anything for you. You just move the cards around and the pieces around. Like it's just like you're playing the game, which for some reason just felt revolutionary as we were playing it. It's the way that in VR, when you reload a gun in VR and you have to like pull back the thing and put the thing in, and you're like, whoa, I like have to actually do the thing. Playing a board game on a computer in this way, where it's like, well, I got to move the card, or your yeah. turn ends, and I was like, well, my turn is over, and I just had to say that to and everybody, that. and it was. <laughs> Just That's the next so player's funny. turn. Because <laughs> like, anyone can just move anything at any time. That's so right. Funny. And if you're like, oh, wait, I messed up. Oh, I forgot to do a thing. You just do it. Just like you're playing the game. And right. it just. That's kind of like a weird mental switch because you're so yes. used to things being automated on a exactly. computer. Exactly. Right, huh. right. But it sounds better, though. Yeah. Yes, it, sounds... it was fantastic. And like, it's, we're going to definitely keep using it. It's like every game exists in this in some capacity. Oh, wow. That's cool. I recommend yeah, that's it awesome. so highly. Maybe the, maybe the three of us should play a board game. I think that would be really, really fun. I think there's a lot of games we could do that with that would be cool. And while I don't recommend learning a game as complicated as Root in Tabletop Simulator, only because it's much easier to be sitting there with the rulebook because that game is very complex, you could. But um, I think if you have a group and you play together, you probably already know Tabletop Simulator. But if you don't, man, I mean, I can't recommend it more highly. It is absolutely wonderful. Like, just incredible, incredible. I loved it so nice. much. Oh, that's awesome. And it's free, right? You can you just get it for free? It's not free. You have to pay for oh, it. But not... it's like 20 bucks wow. or something. Like, the, the basic thing is, a lot of the downloads are not paid some of them are but you have to buy tabletop simulator itself it's a piece of software so everybody does mm-hmm. need does to each own player it. each player has to own a copy yes yes mm-hmm. um you have to all it's a bit of a but it's not super um, expensive and it's totally worth it considering how many games it contains yeah it. if you're yeah. into yeah if you're gonna get your mm-hmm. money's worth out of it kirk yeah. did i tell you that i played um betrayal at the house on the hill i don't remember no. if you like that game Oh, I love that game. Did you play oh, yeah. the, the legacy version or just the base game? No, just the regular version. We played it. The base game is fun. Um, while I was on my trip to Connecticut, we played oh, nice. it. Um, and even my friends who are like not board game people yeah, all yeah. actually got into it. Um, it's a very, very fun game. So uh, before we go, let's talk about Max Fun Drive a little more. Yes. Yeah. One last plug. Maddie, take <laughs> us away. Sure. So we just want to say once again, thank you so much to everybody who's already joined and become a member. And we love you and appreciate you. Yes. But also super double thank you to folks who are hopping over the fence and joining us now and Mm -hmm. participating in the drive because that's really great. And that is how we are able to keep making this show, have it be independent, have it be the show we want it to be, have Kirk yes. spend days and days telling us about Final <laughs> Fantasy music. Just for example. etc. <laughs> That's the stuff you love. Um, so just head on over to MaximumFun.org slash join and, and check that stuff out. So, special announcement. Special announcement. Take it away. We, we will be streaming a video game <laughs> at sure some point in the be. near future. The three of us are going to get together and live stream a game, and we will be talking and probably reading your comments and answering your question. Stay tuned. Something like that. Stay be very fun. tuned. <laughs> going to be we'll, great. We'll be playing live games for all of you in the near future. And that is it for this week's episode. That's it. it. Is. Kirk, Maddie, goodbye. We'll see you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.